passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 16 through 33. Paul writes, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little. While I am saying this with boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever else anyone dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. And who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that right now we have your word. Right now, you are opening our minds and our hearts to a fresh understanding of your word. That, Lord, the things that we've gone through over the last week, over the last month, over the last several months, would be things that, God, we can see clearly because we open your word and we need your spirit to help us in our lives right now. So, spirit of wisdom, Fill our lives again. Spirit of wisdom, cause our minds to come alive to your word. Spirit of wisdom, help us apply your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Crosspoint, we're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians. And here we are wrapping up chapter 11. And... We're talking about gospel boasting. Paul here 
uses the word boast a whole lot. And part of the reason why Paul uses the word boast a whole lot is because we cannot escape the fact that our lives boast about something. You know, at the end of the day, the things that you say point to something. At the end of the day, the things that you do point to something. And my question for you, and your question should be for me as your pastor, what does our lives point to? And so Paul brings about an exposure of a foolish boast in order to show the worthy boast of the gospel. 2020 promises to be a highly contentious election cycle, probably the most contentious election cycle of my lifetime. And as we move towards the general election, whether it's in the state, in uh, the local elections, whatever it might be, you're going to hear a lot of boasting. My name is Ryan Walker, and I approve of this message. (laughs) You're going to hear a lot of people tying their credibility to the words that they say, to the advertisements that they write, to the things that are on TV. And a lot of the election boasting is an elevation of self and a minimizing or a pushing down of their opponent. There was a recent election ad in the state of Georgia in a highly contentious uh, Senate match that's taking place. And the headline from a Time Magazine article says, Georgia Senator pulls ad that made Jewish opponent's nose appear bigger. So, I don't know if you could see the image there, but uh, it's pretty clear that uh, this opponent's nose somehow got larger. And if you read some of the follow-up articles, you'll know that the, uh, the opposing senator put out a, a press release that said it was simply a filter. Somehow this nose-growing filter made his nose get a little bit bigger. And, you know, I'm not here to talk about the worthiness of uh, what people say or don't say regarding how they defend that. But what I will tell you is that Paul found himself in the middle of Corinth in a smear campaign against him. His opponents, the false teachers, had sought to enlarge his nose, if you will. They wanted to make his unappealing features more revealing. They wanted to embellish the things that might have been a liability to the Apostle Paul. His opponents really sought to elevate themselves and push him down in order to gain the attention and admiration of the church. But for Paul, he wasn't running for office. For Paul, what was at stake wasn't the election. He knew the gospel was at stake. He knew heaven and hell weighed in the balance. 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul summarizes the problem here. He says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one 
you received. Or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You know, Paul is rebuking those who are a part of the church that have allowed these false teachers to come in and preach a different Jesus, filled with a different spirit, and proclaim a false gospel. And as Paul rebukes this church, he knows that a different Jesus leads to a different eternity, hell without Christ's salvation. So Paul uses this as an occasion to expose their folly and offer a better boast. There's a better boast that Paul offers for us today. There's a better boast that Paul offers for you and for me today. And so here's the big idea of our time together. As Christians, we are called to boast according to the gospel. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we can boast about, and there's a lot of things in life that we should boast about. I love boasting that I am a father. I love boasting that I am a pastor. I love boasting in some of these things, but all of these boasts have to come under a greater boast, and that's the boast of the gospel, that God has called us to himself, and he has declared that we are his And that God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, gave us the boast of the cross. What does it mean to boast? Dictionary.com says, To boast is to proudly tell other people about what you or someone connected with you has done or can do, especially in order to make them admire you. And so the spear campaign of the false teachers or the false apostles who are trying to mislead those in Corinth was in order to make the church of Corinth admire them to the exclusion of the apostle Paul. But Paul, he was motivated not in the same way. He didn't seek his self-advancement. He didn't seek his own financial well-being. He sought to genuinely love those that he led to Christ. And on his mind and heart, as he says it later, the church gives him an anxiety, a constant awareness of their struggle, a constant awareness of the dangers of the life that God has called us to, a constant reality that we can walk in a foolishness that causes us to leave this gospel that we now proclaim. And so Paul here exposes the false teachers and false apostles by by really unearthing a foolish boast. So we're going to see this passage in three points. Uh, The first one is foolish boasting, verses 16 through 23. The second one is a worthy boasting in verses 24 through 29. And the third one is essential boasting in verses 30. Through 33. So let's look at verses 16 through 23 uh, with foolish boasting. You can see that Paul decides he's going to play by their rules for a moment. And he lives, gives a little asterisk or caveat here. He says, These aren't Christ's words because he's engaging in sarcasm. He's not speaking as Christ to them, but he's playing their own game where their foolish boasting about themselves 
has left Paul with no choice but to engage on their terms. I'll foolishly boast about myself here for a moment. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. Paul, in his sarcasm here, is also exposing truth. He's disheartened by the church's ready acceptance of those who proclaim a false gospel and bear with it. That somehow they can't distinguish between what's true and what's false. And the result is, at the, is that these false teachers or these false apostles are enslaving them. They're devouring them. They're spiritually abusing these church members and they bear with it. And Paul, at the end of that section, says, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. We can't play on their terms. And if you wanted us to do that, there is no way we would have. There's a good word here in the middle of this as it relates to those whom we look up to to teach us the gospel, to lead us, disciple us, to walk in life with us in order to distinguish what's true between what's false in those that we look up to as leaders. It's a standard that your leaders here, I myself, should come under. Is that true and godly, spirit-filled leaders do not exist for you to serve them, but they exist to serve you. These false apostles made their demands. They wanted the best of everything, and Paul says what it has led to is your being enslaved. They'll strike you, and you'll bear with it, offering abuse of you. And they do it all for their own selfish motivations. And those are things that Paul quickly exposes with his sarcasm. Verse 21, he says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman here. Now, Paul, for just a moment, takes his resume and he matches it up against these false apostles, these false boasters. And he says, are you looking for the pedigree that declares that I'm a teacher according to your standards? Are you looking for that because I'm a Hebrew? Check. I'm an Israelite. Check. Are, you a serv- are they servants of Christ? I'm a servant of Christ and a better one. Check. But right now I'm talking like a madman because I'm engaging in their foolishness. And he knows that boasting according to the flesh will only expose their folly. And Paul, just for a moment, exposes the foolishness of boasting according to the flesh. Because when we boast according to the flesh, we don't boast anything about Christ, but everything about ourselves. And we're boasting 
in accordance with the worldly standards where God's standards are entirely different. Have you not noticed that? Can we notice that when you judge the world according to worldly standards, what it leads to is seeking to elevate ourselves or elevate worldly ideas that go in direct contradiction to the gospel. Because we know that the gospel, it is for weak people in need of a strong and powerful God. And so what these false teachers were doing in their smear campaign is they were putting their best and brightest on Facebook and social media for all the world to see. They were, they were bringing that out in the street corners and wherever they could in the marketplace in Corinth. As they preached and taught, it wasn't the message of Jesus. It was them using Jesus to prop up and advance themselves. You know, here's the thing about false teachers that we have to understand in our world today is false teachers, they don't mind preaching Jesus. But they'll use Jesus as a means to an end, and that's their own gain. That's what Paul does here. He is exposing their selfish game. Paul's opponents probably expected him to say something like this in order to boast according to their standards. D.A. Carson writes it. He says, I've established more churches. I've preached the gospel in more lands and to more ethnic groups. I've traveled more miles. I've won more converts. I've written more books. I've raised more money. I've dominated more councils. I've walked with God more fervently and I've seen more visions. I've commanded the greatest crowds and I've performed the most spectacular miracles. But you don't read that in Paul's writings. What you read in Paul's writings is not a boasting of his achievements, but a boasting of his weaknesses. Because the interesting thing about Paul's ministry is his success did not validate his ministry, but his sufferings did. His success didn't validate his ministry, but his sufferings did. And this is where we see that Paul begins now to engage in this worthy boast in verses 24 through 29. As you read this passage, you can't help but to see that Paul had went through incalculable suffering. You know, as a pastor and minister of the gospel, there are some ways that I have suffered for the sake of the gospel, but when I think of those things that has caused suffering for the sake of the gospel, that has caused because I have chosen to preach the gospel, to live out the gospel, it, it doesn't compare to Paul's suffering at all. I, I find that Paul's suffering com is completely alien to me. Let's see this together. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was at, adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
Everything that Paul had just mentioned there, the false apostles were saying, those were some of his liabilities. Those are some of the reasons why you should reject him. Because Paul doesn't have the wealth that would make him measure up according to worldly standards. Because Paul doesn't have the health that would make him measure up according to worldly standards. Because Paul isn't prosperous like we're prosperous. You should disregard him. So rather than taking those things and and defending them, Paul uses them as the occasion to say, these are some of the things that actually authenticate me in my ministry for the sake of the gospel. Now, as you read these things, you can't help but cringe. Maybe even see this with sadness at the suffering that Paul endured. Sam Storms describes what the first one must have looked like. It's the 40 lashes Midas one. He says, in first century, blows were administered with a three-strapped whip on both the chest and the back. The victim would lie on his back with both arms stretched out, bound by two pillars on either side of him. Thirteen blows would be inflicted. He would then turn, be turned over, and the procedure was, whip, was repeated, this time with 26 blows. Paul's life literally bore the marks of Christ. His body bore the marks of Jesus. And this didn't happen to him only one time, but five times. If you do the math on that, 30, uh, 40 minus 1 is 39 times 5 which is 195 lashes that Paul received. And he boasts in that. And he boasts in it not to show the sufficiency of his own strength, but the sufficiency of his sufferings for the sake of the gospel. Three times Paul was dragged into a jail cell and brought before a magistrate and beaten until the jailer and the magistrate was satisfied. One time, one time, Paul was stoned. Now, it's not being stoned like we think being stoned is like in the world today. It was a death sentence by a mob hurling rocks at you until you died. And this is where Paul was left for dead and somehow miraculously survived. Add to that three times shipwrecked at sea with one day floating adrift. Could you imagine floating in the middle of the ocean a night and a day and the dangers that included almost everything from almost everyone? Paul had chosen this life. He chose the sleepless nights. He chose to constantly be a journeyman traveling from city to city to proclaim the gospel and dealing with the hardships along the way, which meant he would be without food or drink or anything that would necessitate a comfortable lifestyle. That is something that Paul intentionally had forsaken. Paul doesn't say this with a braggadocious haughtiness, but he says this with a humility that in everything that he has gone through would be exactly what Jesus would say of him 
in Acts chapter 9, 16, when Jesus says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then perhaps the greatest of sufferings was, as I mentioned earlier, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, this is the one I could most identify with Paul. Because I've had sleepless nights, as I've had church members' faces in my mind and in my prayers. I've had sleepless nights where I've felt an anxiety for the care of the church like Paul experienced here. It wasn't an anxiety for self-preservation. It was an anxiety that says, I want that those who God has put in my care to run the race well, to finish the course. And that anxiety was something that caused Paul a great amount of suffering. And that anxiety is one that authenticated Paul's ministry because Paul was not motivated for anything of himself, but everything of Christ. I want to do a little application here as it relates to this. I've typically reserved the application for the end, but I think it's pertinent to put it right here. First thing we need to see as it relates to this boasting is that we must repent of boasting according to the flesh. We must repent of boasting according to the things that the world boasts about. You know, I mentioned earlier in passing that these false apostles or these false teachers had their own social media accounts and they were elevating themselves and they were destroying their opponents. We could do the same thing. We could boast according to the flesh by becoming our own PR representatives on Facebook and social media and trying to create this controlled image. And in creating this controlled image, we make sure that our best foot is forward and the best picture and just the right expression of who we are is seen and known by all. And as a result, we're never seen and we're never known by all because we're just putting a figment of our own imagination of ourselves in the best version of who we want to be out there. And so this boasting according to the flesh only leads to folly. We must repent of it. The second thing we, is we should be quick to admit our weaknesses. You know, when you do your resume, you're never told to put your weaknesses, especially not on the cover page. Well, that's what Paul did. He took the resume of these foolish boasters, these false apostles, and he put his right there. And all the accusations that they leveled against him, he put right there on the front page for all to see. And he said, these things demonstrate the power of Christ. We're so afraid of airing our dirty laundry or, or being honest with ourselves about our own sin that we keep these things from the community of faith. And as a result, it leads to us never maturing because we don't want people to see our honest struggle. And as a result, the Holy Spirit is rendered impotent in our lives because we won't allow him to work, because we wonder what will they think if they see 
my weaknesses. But when we apply the finished work of the gospel to our weaknesses, these things become an opportunity to show God's muscle, to show his flex, to show his power, that this is the way I was and this is who God made me to be. And we could go through life with people who are struggling with various ailments and sins and say, brother or sister, I have gone through the same thing. And let me tell you about something that God did in my life. that He can do and will do through you. And so we boast in our weaknesses not to show our power, but to show God's salvation in Christ. J.I. Packer says that weaknesses far from a hindrance to successful ministry, are the very means by which the strength and sufficiency of Christ in the life of every believer are made known. God uses chronic pain and weaknesses, along with other afflictions, as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength every day. Hear that? Felt weakness deepens Dependence on Christ for strength every day. Do you feel your weakness? Do you feel your insufficiencies? I mean, if there's anything that will render our world as weak right now, it's this invisible pandemic. And it shows the weakness of our economy. It shows the weakness of our politicians. It shows the weaknesses of every worldly system. But the question is, is will that weakness draw us to a deeper dependence upon Christ? Will it? Now you might think that you're disqualified because you're not eloquent in speech or you don't look a certain way. I'm telling you, friends, don't allow the standards of the world to define your life because in the gospel, His grace is sufficient for you. J.I. Packer finishes this quote. He says, the weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The third application is that we must not judge according to worldly standards. We don't judge ourselves according to worldly standards. And we don't judge others according to worldly standards. There's a great temptation that you and I go through every day we wake up to judge this world by worldly standards, to judge our loved ones by worldly standards, to judge ourselves by worldly standards. And what we set up for ourselves are two sets of, are, are these sets of expectations that either we will live up to and be prideful and haughty about it, or we will always fall short and will live despairingly because of it. So you would live this conscious bipolar nature of high highs and low lows, and you're constantly beholden to the judgments of this world, and you hold those same standards. Paul says, may it never be. Don't judge yourself according to those standards, because those standards will only set you up for failure. Why? Why? Because those standards will never measure up to the gospel of grace that says Christ has met every standard for you. 
Now, Christ doesn't meet the worldly standards because even the story of the crucifixion was one that was largely rejected because how could the worldly standards account for the king on a cross who was suffering? How would those measure against the worldly standards? But this is why it's a foolish gospel for weak people because I'm a fool for him. And this foolish gospel for weak people says that the king never came to measure the standards of this world. But he came to meet the criteria for what it means to be a child of the Most High God. And he did that for me as God's perfect, sinless son. This is where our worthy boast is a boast of necessity. A necessary boast. He says, if I must boast, I boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, he knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now, if you're familiar with enough of Paul's writings, you'll know he takes these kind of detours. It seems like he's the ADD apostle. Because he goes from here to here to here to here. But this is perfectly in line with what he's talking about. Because God, Paul is talking about God's grace that has crushed his strength. So, there's a story here. And if you know the story of Paul's conversion, you'll know that Paul the Apostle was formerly Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was given orders from the Sanhedrin to go to Damascus in order to hunt down those who were Christians there and bring them back to stand trial and to be imprisoned and punished and maybe even killed. And so the picture that you have of Paul or Saul of Tarsus is one of strength Probably the strongest according to world standards that he's ever been. He had just been given a trust from the Sanhedrin to go to Damascus. And he had an entourage of people with him. And they were going to hunt down those who were Christians. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was a terrorist of Christians. And he, in his strength, as he was on his way on that Damascus road... The only thing that could have stopped him was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he did. And this strong Saul of Tarsus fell off of his high horse. And he had an encounter with the living God. You might remember Christ's words to Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus who you, whom you are persecuting. And in an instant, Saul of Tarsus was humbled. And this strong man became a weak servant. This strong opposer of the gospel became a proponent of it. The one who went to hunt down Christians was now being hunted himself. Beautiful picture 
of God's grace. So rather than Saul going into Damascus to persecute Christians, he left as a persecuted Christian. And the order came from the governor that he was to be imprisoned. And this may have meant even Saul would lose his life. The devil was at work to destroy Paul in this very moment. But he got word of the order for his arrest. And in order to leave the city, he had to leave to where no one would recognize him. And so they put the Apostle Paul in this basket, typically used to transport fish, or maybe even to raise fish up and down the city walls. And the picture now is not the, song, the strong Saul of Tarsus on his high horse going into Damascus, but the picture now is of the weak Apostle Paul who's in a fetal position in a basket used to transport fish being lowered down by Christians whom he sought to persecute. And he is now leaving the city as a persecuted Christian. It's a life that no one would have chosen except God's grace arrested him. He surrendered his life to Christ. And God used the Apostle Paul in human history like perhaps no other outside of Jesus Christ. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. We have Paul's famous words in Galatians 6.14, and I'll close. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to this world. And I'm dead to the things that the world defines me by. I'm dead to those things because I'm made alive by the cross. So I've been crucified to this world and I follow after Christ by taking up my cross and following after Him. If you're going to boast, boast about what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. See to it that your boasting is a gospel boasting. Yesterday morning, I went to breakfast with my daughter Adeline. It was exactly what I needed. We went and had a bagel together. And we opened up the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. And as we were reading the Scriptures, I was telling Adeline of God's love for us. And as I read the first three words, in the beginning, I said, Adeline, do you know when God's love for you began? I said, before those words were ever written. We both began to weep because we know that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No bad that we could do could ever cause us to be separated from it. No good that we could ever do will ever cause us to earn it. And so I boast not in myself, but I boast in the God who loved me 
and knew me from before the world began, and who signed, sealed, and delivered that love by the boast of the cross of Christ, who boasted of God's love for me in Jesus. So Cross Point Church, may we be the church that boasts in the cross of Christ and points everything that we do to that one sufficient boast, not according to the flesh, but according to the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your sufficiency. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have given us a better boast. That Lord, right now I pray for those who, God, who may be trying to evaluate their lives according to the worldly standards and every time either come out on top or on the bottom or maybe a little bit of both. Lord, you offer a better boast. You offer a better life. Lord, may our hearts and our boasts not be defined by this world's standards, but be defined by the cross by which I've been crucified to this world and the world has been crucified to me. So I boast in the cross of Christ as my everything. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And to Him be the glory forever and ever.